If you please turn with me to Romans chapter 8 on page 944. Praise God for his gifts in the church. It's the last time that we'll be dealing with Romans chapter 8, at least in this series. But we live it out every day of our lives, of course. Um, begin reading with verse 14 of Romans chapter 8. We began treating the whole idea of, of being children of God. Then we started talking about being heirs of God. We've talked about the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrection. And now this morning we're going to talk about Suffering. Verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided or if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits for the, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that we would understand your word, that it would convict our hearts and refresh our hearts and enlarge our hearts to see the glory of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. And that we will conform our ways to this word. Oh, Lord, may we walk in your gracious will. May we have the hope that you set before us. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Excuse me. A few weeks ago, I had the great privilege of standing on top of Mount Elbert, uh, the highest mountain in Colorado. It was spectacular. The panorama was breathtaking. There had been so much involved in, in going. A lot of preparations that began here. And one of them was that Robert Chirac caught wind of our trip. And on his own, he came by with some of the finest hiking equipment known to mankind. He, and you might say, brought every blessing in the hiking places uh, to me at that point. <clears throat> and we flew out several days early to get used to the altitude. Uh, we did a short two-day hike to try to condition ourselves some. We shopped for supplies the night before, packed our food and water. We got up at 4 a.m. We set off about 6.30 in the morning. We began among the Aspens. Beautiful white trunks, thousands of them on every side. And we then went through the small aspens and then we went through uh, the spruce and pine and then we were above the tree line. And that's where 
I had, you know, put sunscreen on my face and hands, but I hadn't put it on my legs. And so poor Kay, the next week when we went to the uh, Florida, Alabama line, she had a husband who had white legs and white feet and burned calves. Oh, it just... And they were peeling, you know, it's the kind of thing where people said, who is that man? And she said, I've never met him. I don't know. <clears throat> so we would go through these pockets of temperature. You've been swimming before and you hit colder water below. And we would just walk into pockets that were colder as we went up. And as we got closer to the top, my lack of conditioning showed where I would just had to take baby steps. And for me, it was... Concentrate on breathing, go slow, take small steps, stay barely ahead of your burning legs and your burning lungs, you know, and just would look three feet ahead, three feet ahead, keep breathing, three feet ahead, keep going. Well, as I'm doing this, two girls just race by me. You know, you feel the breeze as they walk by almost. They're going so fast. And, uh, you know, young whippersnappers. At least they were gracious enough not to say, move over, Grandpa. But, and so it hurt. I mean, that last hour for me, I blocked everything else. It was three feet, three feet, three feet. Maybe it took about three hours to get to the top. And sharing it, of course, with the other guys was wonderful. There were other hikers we talked with. We had some lunch. We took pictures. We stared and stared at the majesty of that day. It hurt and it hurt and it hurt. And it was wonderful. And if somebody at the bottom or even halfway through had said, hey, you want to take a cart and go up this way? Even though it would have been refreshing, I say, no, no, I'm going to walk it. I'm going to walk it. Because it's the whole thing. It's not that, hey, we took a helicopter to the top. It's that we did the whole thing. It's a piece, isn't it? That hike, that glorious journey that even hurt and you ended up on the top. And that's some of what Paul's talking about here in our union with Christ. There's no way to separate the suffering from the glory. There's no way to separate them. You can't pull them apart. To be in union with Christ in His glory one day is to be in union with Christ in His suffering in this world. It's all a part of this glorious joining up with Christ. And so he says here in John and in Romans 8, Right when he says that we're heirs of God, he says in verse 17, we're heirs with Christ. If we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. So the two things I want to lay before you that gives us great comfort. One is that we share in Christ's sufferings. So think of sharing, but then also think of the word insignificant. In the end, compared to the glory to come, our sufferings are just insignificant. They don't even matter. So these two lines of comfort that he puts before us, our suffering is a sharing in Christ's suffering, and it is insignificant in compared to the glory that comes. So first, this sharing. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I said, what are the, asked the question, what are the two most important words in the Christian life? Two most important words, in a sense, in the Bible and I think those are in Christ, in Christ, joined to Christ. When you're in Christ, everything changes if we're in Christ. Scriptures picture it. It's like the opening of the sluices of this great reservoir. So this 
water fills a network of waterways and irrigation systems so that hundreds of miles of thirsty farmland is richly supplied for an abundant crop. That's what it's like to be joined to Christ. That your life in every way can be flooded by the riches of God's salvation. How does he put it in Scripture? We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, you see. Or, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And on and on. In Christ, we have forgiveness. In Christ, we have no condemnation. In Christ, we have been set free, Paul says. And the one close to home in Ephesians 1 is, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance. In Christ, we've obtained an inheritance. So, here... We are joint heirs with Christ. Actually, Christ is the heir. As it says in Hebrews 1, he appointed Christ heir of all things. So since Christ is heir of all things, being joined to Christ, we can be heirs. By sin, we lost the right to inheritance. We have no right to any inheritance. He alone won it back for us. It's his inheritance, but he won it in order to share it with his people. He won it for his people to willingly and freely give it to us. Whatever he receives, he shares. And then it says in the next phrase in verse 17, since we suffer with him, we will be glorified. And it doesn't mean that only if you suffer will you be glorified, although that is part of it. But it's assuming that we will be suffering since indeed, since in fact we suffer that we may be one day glorified. So the point is not just Christ suffered and our suffering is parallel to his, but it means it's a part of being with him and joined to him. When you take on the character of Christ and share the mission of Christ and the mindset of Christ and the passion and love of Christ, you'll be joined to the suffering of Christ in some way or another. It may mean for you simply rejection by your family or ridicule by a teacher in class or the snickering and rolling of eyes because you don't want to be sexually active as a young person. There are many ways in which you'll suffer. For thousands of Christians worldwide in September and every other month, it will mean arrest, the plundering of their possessions, destruction of property, beatings, political and economic and social oppression and death. Every month of this year, it will mean that. But our comfort is not that there's something wrong with us. Our comfort is, it's just part of belonging to Jesus. We're just sharing in his sufferings. I love how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 4. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. And the word is koinonia. We know that word. Fellowship, communion. We talk about the intimacy of our koinonia. Well, we have koinonia with Christ. The sharing of suffering with Christ. And he says that you also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So he says, rejoice that you're suffering because then you'll rejoice when his glory. So it it joins those two things, suffering and glory. But listen to this amazing statement. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory 
and of God rests on you. The Spirit of glory rests on you. It's the picture in the Old Testament of the children of Israel and the fire by night and the cloud by day resting upon them and indicating God's presence. And now, here's Peter taking that image and saying, the glory cloud rests upon you even as you suffer. How wonderful this picture of God's presence in our lives. And what a wonderful assurance for God's people in the early church, because for many of them, their lives went haywire only after they became Christians. You know, up to that point, things were fairly okay. Life was fairly stable. They went to work and they fit in with everybody. And then they become Christians and their business is boycotted. They're treated unjustly in court. And then the father and the husband is imprisoned and the family sinks into poverty. Because they became Christians. And so the question is, what's happening to me? Where is God? What have I done wrong? Why is he against me? Are there other gods more powerful than this one that I've offended? What's going on here? And of course, the assurance from Paul and Peter is that you're going to share in his glory. And so you share in his sufferings. God isn't against you. He hasn't abandoned you. Your sufferings show that you belong to him. He is yours. The spirit of glory rests upon you. You want to know where God is manifesting himself? Where is the temple of God on earth where glory is bursting out? It's in the midst of your suffering, Peter says. That's where the glory of God shows itself. You are his dwelling place even as you suffer. So, we share in his sufferings. That's a comfort. That's a comfort to know why I'm suffering because I'm identified with Christ. But then he points to the insignificance of those sufferings as compared to the glory to come. Verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed for us. Now, imagine a 55-year-old man, which is not hard for me to imagine, come October 2nd, who's about 100 pounds overweight. Now, I'm not there yet, but give me some time. Um, Now, he's not athletic, but he takes up tennis. He's not an athletic man, but he decides he wants to start playing tennis. And this guy misses the ball half the time, those that come to him, okay? He can't move, and he serves like he's playing badminton, you know, and kind of, as you say, serves like a girl. Of course, nowadays, with those women serving like they do, you can't say that anymore. But here's this guy, and you take him and compare him to Roger Federer, certainly, arguably, one of the great players in the history of tennis. So, how about putting them on the same court? You say, no, 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 don't put them on the same court. Okay, well, what about the same league? No, no, same team, no. No, in fact, you say... This man should never be holding a racket while Roger Federer is holding a racket. You know, just don't compare them. Don't you touch a racket. Or to take another illustration, there was a young Russian man who participated in the Van Cliburn competition last year. And we got to have him in our home for a while because one of our friends knew him. And when he played his piece at the Van Cliburn, if you closed your eyes and just listened for the first five minutes of that piece... You would have thought, how in the world can one man play those notes? The scintillating runs and glorious passages, the, the 
how how uh, uh, involved it was and complex it was. But if you had opened your eyes, you would have been you would have seen he played it with his left hand for five minutes. It was unbelievable that a human being could play this. Well, now I play the piano. Okay, I bang on the. I'm an oaf on the piano. I'm a slob. I'm the equivalent of chopsticks with 37 mistakes. You know, I'm nothing. And so, if I was in a room with all of these Clyburn people, and somebody said, "Hey, Darwin, you play the piano. Why don't you play?" I wouldn't look, I couldn't stand next to the piano or breathe on it or look at it with them in the room. I would have nightmares that I even touched the piano in front of them, you know. You're not worthy, Darwin, to be called a piano player. And you get the picture here? I consider the sufferings of this world not to be compared They're not in the same league. They're not on the same court. You can't even put them in the same room. They're nothing. They're nothing. I've had children that show me where they're hurt, you know. And I always love that. Oh, I'm hurt, Daddy. I'm hurt. Yeah, well, show me, honey. Where is it? See right there. And you look and you're just like can't see anything, really. You know, it may be a little irritation of some kind and... Of course, you say, oh, sweetie, let's go and get a Band-Aid, you know, because it's all about comfort and love and knowing you care, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I think in the end, when Christ comes, it's going to be something like that. When he comes and we'll be resurrected and transformed, we'll be receiving these new bodies of glory and power and the whole creation will be transformed along with us. It's kind of like. Our bodies move from the equivalent of a child's wooden toy to a brand new Ferrari. Okay, and then creation is transformed from the equivalent of broken dirt roads and rickety bridges to colossal superhighways spanning seas and forests and mountains. And it's like, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. You know, that's the new creation. Who can imagine what it's going to be? And when that glory unfolds endlessly before us, making the view we had from Mount Elbert like an anthill, even the most terrible suffering ending in death won't even look like a scratch. It'll be like you can't even see it. It's not to be compared to the glory that comes. And of course, he... He lays this before us so that that's the hope that we have. That's what enables us to endure. That's what enables us to suffer. That's what enables us to give everything away if we have to. So what? So what? Two applications to close. One is how much we need forgiveness in this very matter. We're pathetic because we're spineless. You know, we are. We're just pathetic, spineless people. We sell out for anything, don't we? It doesn't take anything more than a little discomfort. And it's like we don't know Jesus anymore. We'll deny him so quickly. We're foolish. We're blind. We're fearful. We see what is before us, but we don't see what is absent from us. We don't see the glory to come. It's sad. 
But he's a savior for the weak and the cowardly. He's a savior for us. He's a savior who dies for people who really don't understand and don't get it. He's died for the ones who think more of protecting our own skin than identifying with Jesus Christ. He died for Peter, who denied him three times. He bears our punishment. He takes away our guilt. He renews our hearts. And He gives us grace to spend ourselves on Him no matter what the cost. Because we're fixed on the glory to come. And we know our suffering is our identity with Christ. So, I encourage you, gain forgiveness. Gain forgiveness. Don't run or think, oh, I've been... Yeah, think those things. Realize it. Be convicted. But then come to Christ for forgiveness. Come to Christ for forgiveness. And then the second word I just leave with you is uh, self-protection. I mentioned it already, but maybe you've never embraced Christ for real. When, When you embrace Christ, you really embrace His whole destiny. You really embrace His whole relationship to the world. That's what he meant when he said, if he who follows me must come after me, he who's going to come after me or comes to me, he must follow me. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily. The cross is the symbol of the world's hatred against us. So he he puts that up front in the bargain, so to speak. The deal is that I need to be so precious to you. You need to feel so helpless and I'm so valuable and you need me so badly that you just embrace me in everything that I have, including the fact that I'm hated by the world. But he becomes so precious. We want him so much for forgiveness and his love is so glorious. we, We want to belong to him no matter what. So I might ask you, do you see his glory? Do you see your need of him, your sinfulness? And then what are you giving into then? What are you what governs you? Is it pit squeak human beings around you who oppose Christ? Or is this this majestic love of the Lord of the earth who unveils his glory in the end for you? Which which one is really governing, you see, your life day to day, which controls you? It's the same thing. You, You wouldn't pay for an overweight senior to play tennis for 45 minutes and you wouldn't watch me play bang on the piano and a few chords for 45 minutes unlike what Elizabeth is able to do. And I'm just telling you, don't give suffering the time of day in that regard. Don't let it be a concern or bother you. Don't let it determine whether you're going to give your life to Christ or not. And if you're a believer, don't ever let it pull you off the path of obedience. Not that, not suffering, which is nothing in the end compared to the glory that is to come. That glory is everything. And so allow that glory to fill your heart. And so if we deny ourselves day in and day out, which we're called to do, why, that's nothing. If we give up sinful desires and idols that have filled our lives and that really are destroying us, not only do we benefit in this life from the richness that comes to us, but we're living for that glory that is to come. And so, I repeat what Paul says. I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I long for every one of you and myself in a much larger way than we can ever imagine after this pattern I've presented to Mount Elbert that we will be standing with the saints one day in glory and surveying the unlimited riches of Jesus Christ that have given to us. Praise be his name that this is his plan for us. Let us pray. Lord God, encourage our hearts. Draw us after yourself, O Lord. Forgive us that we have denied you in many ways. Forgive us, Lord, that we could regard suffering in this world as something to be guiding us, ruling us, deciding whether or not we will follow Christ. Forgive us, Lord, that we would give away eternal treasures in view of a few seconds of acceptance or some friendship. Forgive us, Lord, that if the stakes were much higher and we were like the early church, and we even ask, what would we do if it was imprisonment? What would we do if it was death or real physical suffering when we give up for so little? Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. Make us clean, Lord Jesus. We admit to you our weakness, our cowardice, our hard-heartedness, our lack of treasuring the one who has treasured us so much that he would die for us and bear our punishment. Oh, Lord, thank you that you do forgive us. Renew us, Lord. Fix our hearts on that glory. Fix our hearts on the glory of Jesus. We count it the, the greatest privilege, even as the apostles did. And it says they counted it such a privilege to suffer for Jesus Christ. May we see as we suffer that the glory cloud rests upon us. That we, indeed, even then, are the temple of the living God. And we, by your grace, are manifesting your glory to a dark world. And now let's have a time of silent meditation and each of us confess our sins to God.